Hey guys, Michael Sweet of Striper. I want to take a moment to congratulate Joe Taylor on 100th episode of On Fake's Edge. God bless you, buddy. Congrats. Hi, this is Mark Lowry, and I want to wish Joe Joe happy 100th episode. I love your show. Keep it up. Hey, this is God's comic, Brad Stein. Joe, just want to congratulate you on your 100th episode. Hey, Joe, this is Todd Agnew. I just wanted to wish you a happy 100th episode. I don't know if there's a song, happy birthday, or whatever that goes along with the episode thing, but congratulations. Really excited. Because that skepticism, that cynicism drives my faith. I'm forced to look at it every day and reprove to myself that God is God and He exists. Well, hello. Thank you, Michael Sweet, Mark Lowry, Brad Stein, and Todd Agnew for the congrats. I know that means a lot to Joe. Welcome to the 100th episode of On Face Edge. My name is Karen Taylor. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. On today's show, we have On Face Edge, one and only Joe Taylor. As a number of you have requested, I thought for this very special show, we would interview Joe himself. So today, guess what? I'm taking over the show. Joe is the host and producer of On Face Edge. Every show he brings you engaging conversations with your favorite Christian entertainers, musicians, authors, professional athletes, comedians, and business influencers. Known for his thought-provoking question, Joe uncovers intriguing stories of conversions, struggles with faith, and personal victory. Today, we'll talk about his path from atheist to believer, why he calls himself a recovering atheist, how his skepticism and cynicism drive his faith, the book of the Bible that causes Joe a great deal of angst, and is God a jerk. How did you get started and interested in doing this? First of all, I grew up as a talk radio junkie. Loved listening to AM radio. Politics, religion, social issues, whatever it may have been. I loved listening to AM talk radio. Uh, and I've always kind of been enthralled by it and interested in it. So several years back, uh, I heard about a, a local guy actually here in the Cincinnati area named Cliff Ravenscraft, who teaches people how to podcast. So I signed up for one of Cliff's courses and um, took it from there. So what made you do a Christian-based podcast? I wanted, to, I wanted to express my faith somehow. I thought that was important, and that's what I have a passion for. Uh, I'm most curious about talking to people about their questions on faith and how they came to believe in God, and if they've ever struggled with their faith, even as Christians, because I do myself. You'll see, you'll, you'll, as you hear in the show, I call myself a recovering atheist, and there's a reason I, I call myself that, and we can talk about that if you want. But I wanted to explore those questions of faith, and I wanted, and, and I wanted to also have some kind of entertainment aspect to it. So I looked at kind of different options, and I started off the show with uh, right now, the show is straight interview format where I, you know, I, I have a guest on and we talk about their current projects and we talk about uh, what they're doing and who they are. And then we talk about their personal faith as well. The show started off with three distinct segments. I wanted three distinct segments. I wanted uh, a segment called Tough Questions. I wanted a segment called Spiritual Hacks. And I wanted to have a segment 
where we are interviewing somebody of somebody of some level of celebrity to talk about their faith and how they came to God and things like that. Uh, quickly, I, I kind of heard back from the audience and the audience, the feedback that I was getting was, hey, we, we love the interview. We love the interviews. Um, so I, I moved, I transitioned to the interview only format. I would love, I, honestly, I would love to bring back the spiritual hacks and I would love to bring back the tough question segment. Uh, I think those, those really bring a lot of value. Uh, I think I may have given up a little too soon on those. So you might, you guys, the listeners might hear those, hear those segments coming up. I'm not sure. Did that answer your question? Uh, yes. Um, you were just talking about how you are a recovering atheist. Yes. You want to expand on that a little bit? If you're recovering, does that mean you're a believer? I'm a solid believer in Jesus Christ. As as God. There's no doubt about that. I call myself a recovering atheist because it's a funny term. Sure. <laughs> it's quirky. Yes, it and, is. But I also relate to it because there are times in the still of the night when I think I still might be an atheist. I find comfort, a warped sense of comfort in atheism because with atheism, you're not responsible to anything. There is no God, so there is no. There are really are no rules other than cultural rules, which can change at any moment. So there is no real solid foundation. I have a cynical view of faith many times, and a skeptical view of faith much of the time. I will question my faith in the existence of God, and in fact, that's one of the questions I almost always ask in my interview because I love to hear what other people say about that. I will question my faith or even the existence of God. And that cynicism and that skepticism drives my faith because I'm forced on a probably a more regular basis than most people, most believers. I'm forced to dig into the evidence that proves God out, proves Christianity out, and dig into those things. So that's why I call myself a recovering atheist. How did you come to know Christ? It was a process for me. Uh, I was born into a culturally Christian family, uh, where we went to church on Christmas and Easter. Yeah, we were Christers, Christer Christians, <laughs> Christmas and Easter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so that's what, uh, that's what I was born into a culturally Christian family. Um, no real faith foundation to our family whatsoever. I mean, we went to every once in a while, we'd go to a little church on the corner called, uh, Trinity Hill United Church of Christ as I think was the name of it. And I did some stuff there. Uh, but it was never any kind of firm or serious faith foundation in my family. As I grew into uh, adulthood, late teens, uh, I kind of stopped believing in God and the whole thing. It just it didn't make sense to me. The concept of there being this big grandpa in the sky that grants wishes, uh, just that people pray to, just didn't make sense. And, and the idea that this uh, this person... Uh, created everything. And if he created everything, why is everything such a mess? Why is everything such a mess? And that's kind of, that's how I came to atheism. Well, I think sometimes teenagers are like that. You know, even teenagers that grow up through the church, they kind of fall away, but they find their way back. Do you think that was more of it? No, no, I, I didn't believe in God. 
I had made that decision that there was no God. I just didn't. It wasn't one of those situations where I, I still believed in God, but I wanted to live my own life because Christianity was not a firm foundation for me anyway. It was just, I didn't fall away from the church because I didn't really have anything to fall away from. Uh, I, what I thought at the time was matured into a more reasonable belief system, which was atheism. Uh, the, the idea that there is no God, what we have here, what we can see, touch, feel is really all there, oh, there is. is. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. And I don't know what happened to make me go down the path of making, to make sure. I think, I think I just wanted to make sure there were some people coming into my life that were believers. This was before you and I met. So I, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be an atheist, I'm darn well going to be able to support atheism. And so I started looking into the, just the idea that there is a God, not Christianity specifically, but the idea that there is a God. Um, so I read, uh, I read some, um, some articles about the probability of the universe. I read some articles about irreducible complexity. I also read some articles about creationism. Once I fell into a place that there probably is something outside of time and space that created everything, once I fell into a place that there was a creator and that there is truth, and it's funny how I came to that. I came to that through, uh, through this process. I, I started listening to um, a show called Let My People Think uh, by Ravi Zacharias. Yes, I love Ravi. Yeah, you remember Ravi. And, and uh, I, think, I think by that time, you and I probably had, had met at that time. Uh, when we met, I wasn't going to church, obviously. I mean, we could tell some stories about the type of person I was. Well, uh, I'm, I don't really want to talk about that, but <laughs> I do remember you asking about if God's so powerful that can he make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Or yeah, that was my that was my that was my very cerebral, very <laughs> logical go to question. You know, if God's so big, can he make a rock? If God so if God's all powerful, can he make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Yeah, and I'm like, why would he want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> when I started listening to Ravi Zacharias, I had not fallen into a into a place where I believed there was a God. I actually just kind of believe there was no truth. Uh, there's no such thing as truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And and we just have different perceptions and truths in life. Uh, you can live your truth and I'll live my truth. And then I heard Ravi Zacharias tell a story once where he was having lunch or dinner with a friend and a Hindu or a Buddhist or something like that. Ravi was making the argument for Christianity. And this Hindu said, well, you have to understand, Ravi, there really is no truth. And Ravi said, in a way that only Ravi can respectfully say, you're going to take that back by the end of this conversation. And they continued the conversation. And when all was said and done, the guy once again said, Ravi, you have to understand, there is no truth. And Ravi said, is the statement you made true? Meaning, is the statement, there is no truth. Is that a truthful statement? Is that a truth statement? If, you're, if you say that that statement is true, then you are admitting that there is truth. There is something in this world that is truthful, that is founded in yes or no, black or white, either or. If you say that statement is not true, then you're saying that there is truth. And it's a, cir it's a circular argument that leads back to one thing, that there must be 
truth. Once I realized that, I was screwed. (laughs) Because my foundation crumbled around me that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and there is no real truth. And I'm like, oh boy, this is not good, Joe. (laughs) So I had to figure out once, once I realized that there was truth, I had to figure out what truth was. And that led me to God because God truth cannot come from you and it cannot come from me. You, you as a human being cannot be the truth giver. Truth can only come from an almighty creator of the universe that has knowledge of all things and understanding of all things. That's the only person, entity that truth can come from. So if truth exists, there must be a truth giver. And if there must be a truth giver, that truth giver must be all-knowing and and all-understanding. And in order to be all-understanding and all-knowing, you must have created it. And you must be outside of space and time. So therefore, much to my chagrin, I realized that there is a God. If there is a God, and believe me, I know I'm, this is taking a long time, but this is the condensed version, believe it or not. If there is a God, what is the best representation of that God that we have here? I did a reasonable level of due diligence into most major religions. I fell on Christianity as the only real logical belief system. There there were four things about Christianity that, that really stood out to me. Number one is the historical accuracy of the Bible. The Bible is presented as a historical document, not as a story of fables and good sayings. It is presented and it presents itself as a historical document. And the historical accuracy of the Bible is unprecedented. There's never been an archaeological find that disproves the Bible. So the historical accuracy of the Bible just blew me away. The second thing was the amazing ability of Jesus Christ to relate to and convey the human experience. Of all the great thinkers, let's just let's just take a set aside the idea that Jesus is God. Okay? Let's say Jesus was just a wise man uh, of ancient times, a great thinker, a sage of sorts. Well, he is talked about in other religions. He's talked about in Islam as a great prophet. Yes. In in fact, he's referred to in the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus. Right. Uh, Plenty of the younger mentions Jesus. In fact, Josephus talks about Jesus as a magician. So that just proves that he existed. Right. And in Again, that, that speaks to historical accuracy of the Bible. Jesus Christ was a real human being. Jesus Christ was a man that lived on this world. There's more written about Jesus than probably any other historical figure. But what blew me away about Jesus was his amazing ability to both relate to and convey the human experience. You know, at our, at our core, humans are searching for grace and forgiveness and honor and dignity. And Jesus Christ spoke to all of those things and gave people a path to those things. Kind of along the lines of historical accuracy as well as is the authenticity of the resurrection. There's not been a single event in human history that has been more scrutinized and investigated than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This event happened. There was a man that lived about 2,000 years ago that was, that was killed on a cross by the Romans, was buried in a tomb, 
and came back to life and presented himself as a live human being to hundreds of people. The Roman and the Jewish leaders at the time would have liked nothing more than to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And see that all go away. And see that all go away. So all they had to do was bring forth a body. That's it. They've never been able to bring forth a body. And it's 2,000 years later. Nobody can explain why these followers of Jesus went from scared men afraid of being associated with Jesus to bold followers of Jesus Christ professing the gospel to their agonizing death. Most of them died in agonizing death. Do you, does it make sense that all of these people would die in agonizing death for a lie, for something that was just made up or something that they weren't absolutely sure of? It just doesn't hold water for me. So you take that. And finally, the fact that in Christianity, God comes to man rather than man coming to God. In, in almost all other faiths, man is forced to make himself good enough to come to God. In Christianity, God came to man because he knew man was not good enough. God made himself man, took the sacrifice for us. So those four things, the historical accuracy of the Bible, the amazing ability of Jesus to both relate to and convey the human experience, um, the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the fact that in Christianity, God comes to man, uh, not man coming to God. You've interviewed a lot of different people. Who was your favorite to interview and why? That's a horrible question. You know, I, and I ask that a very similar question uh, to my guests, especially musicians, uh, because I ask what their favorite piece is off this album. The problem with that is these favorite pieces that I ask them about are not human beings that I'll probably have to talk to again at some time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay, so okay, then maybe I'll rephrase it and say, "What I'll, was I'll, your?" I'll answer your question. Okay, I'll answer your question. Um. I have some significant interviews. Right. I actually wasn't very prepared for this question, but I'll, let's roll with it. Uh, I have a couple people that that were significant in my life growing up, even as a non-Christian. Two of those people were John Schlitt and Michael Sweet. Both came on my show early. I was a big metalhead, long-haired metalhead when I was a teenager. And uh, along with groups like Iron Maiden, uh, Judas Priest, Ronnie James Dio, Black Sabbath. Alongside of them was this band called Striper. And Michael Sweet is the lead singer for Striper, Soldiers Under Command. I, I wore that out, man. <laughs> uh, but also I think about Dan Miller, who was early on the show. Uh, he's a business and life coach, uh, author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Tremendous, tremendous uh, life advice in that one. Uh, recently, I, I've interviewed a Mark Lowry. David A.R. White, Danny, Danny Roebuck, Daniel Roebuck was a, was a fun, fun interview recently. Gosh, you know, that's a tough one. I get a little bit and the audience gets a little bit from each one. Well, when you were listening to these bands, did you realize they were Christian? Well, like, like Striper and Petra? Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew, I, I knew, but I or didn't. you had a, yeah, but the like sound, Michael, I mean. My gosh, if you go back and listen to some of, some of John Schlitt's early stuff, 
And John Schlitz still has it, by the way. Oh, he uh, certainly does. John Schlitz still has it. But man, his uh, Raise a Little Hell from uh, Head East before he was a Christian. See, John Schlitt got fired from Head East because he was too much of a drug addict. Uh, he got fired from Head East. and That's and, really hard to imagine now. Yeah. John's a great guy. Uh, yeah, he is. Michael Sweet has an amazing voice. You know, he's definitely in my top five all-time heavy metal voices, along with Bruce Dickinson. There's nobody that measures to Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Uh, Rob Halford from Judas Priest. Brian Johnson from ACDC. Amazing rock voice. Yeah, I don't know where we're going. But yeah, I, I listened to those guys, and the Christianity thing wasn't, you know, wasn't that significant to me one way or the other. I didn't become a Christian because of Michael Sweet singing, although they threw Bibles out at the concerts that I was at. Have you doubted your faith and doubted God? Yes. I probably do it more often than most people I know. I am constantly questioning my faith in the existence of God. I almost live in this, this skepticism or the cynicism. I pray to, to, to grow out of that. But somehow I think God holds me there because that skepticism, that cynicism drives my faith. I'm forced to look at it every day, all the time, and reprove to myself that God is God and he exists and he is he was manifest in Jesus Christ as a man and was punished and died on a cross, a horrible, horrible death and was raised again um, and taken to heaven as a man. I'm forced to understand that on a consistent basis. I don't have a blind faith, I guess you would say. And it's a good thing. That I think that's a gift. You, for example, are have a lot of faith. You never question God or the existence of God or what God can do or the power of God or why God or anything like that. You never do. You just always put your trust in him. I covet the faith that you have because of, of how easily you can live your life through it. Thank you, honey. But I suck when it comes to it, man. I do. To answer your question directly, I, I question it all the time. I think I think almost everybody has that. They may not show it or they may not say they have it, but I think it sometimes they, they do. I think more people question their faith than what we think, but they're afraid to question their faith. Right. And my point is, God's a pretty tough cat. Yeah. I'll bet he can handle it. God can handle me being jacked up with it. God can handle me questioning him and what his motives are. I think that the, I think the God that we see in Job was for a moment, frankly, and it's not the God that is uh, represented in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. I don't know how that worked, but I don't think that personality of God is is how God is manifesting himself anymore uh, you know god basically said don't you question me who are you to question me who are you to who are you to ask me what what my motives are and what i'm doing and and god got pretty jacked up i i get i get screwed up when i think about job job's one of my favorite books of the bible just because i it it i get pretty i get i get pretty upset at job because it just seems it, it seems like I, I don't understand the motive behind it and why put this man through this. That's, that's he, because the devil said, I bet he will lose his faith right. if you did this. Right. And 
God did it just to prove the devil wrong. Yeah, but God put Job through a lot of crap. Well, sure. In my mind, needlessly. Then he blessed Job. Yeah, he did. He blessed Job. But what about... He he, did those things to prove to Satan that he's not going to lose his faith in me. He will trust me throughout whatever. Yes, I, I, I understand that. Job never gave up his faith. Right. And it's an example for all of us to be, to look at everything Job went through, and Job still stayed firm in his faith. Mm-hmm. But God was a jerk, man. It just seemed needless to me to put put this man through all of this. It's not like he brought his original kids back to him or his original wife back to him. He got a, he got a new wife and new kids and new lands and all that other stuff. So anyway, I get I get pretty upset with Job, the book of Job. And it's there because it shows that God is all powerful and he can do what he wants to do. He's God for his sake. And uh for crying out loud, if you want proof that God is God, just look at the book of Job. He can be he can be who he wants to be, even even a jerk to prove that he's loving. Does that make sense? Mhm. Oh boy, I won't sleep tonight. <laughs> Stay away from me. Lightning's going to strike somewhere. (laughs) I love God. I love God. I love the love of Jesus Christ. And I love what he's done for me personally as a man and what he's done for humanity. And the sacrifice that he gave uh, on that cross. Here's something interesting about the cross. Think about this. God chose a time. In all of history that he could have chosen to come down and offer himself as a sacrifice, God chose a place and time where they were inflicting the cruelest of punishments that has ever existed in history. Crucifixion. Flogging, then crucifixion. The flogging in and of itself killed most people. If they made it to the crucifixion, It's an agonizing, long, drawn-out death that is just unfathomable. God picked that period of time to make himself man and take the punishment for all of humankind's sin. Let that sink in for a second. I love God, and I love Jesus, and what he did for me, and for you, and for mankind— is unfathomable. So the comments I made about Job, sorry. (laughs) Still just don't, I don't get it. (laughs) What would you say to that person on faith's edge? I've thought a lot about that question because again, I end every interview with this question, almost every interview with this question. If, If you've made it to faith's edge, that means you are to the point of, Believing or not believing. You have enough evidence to go either way. I would ask you to sincerely open your heart to God and ask him to lead the way. And go into the scriptures. Find yourself a trusted mentor within Christianity. Uh, a, A pastor, a priest, a messianic. Jewish rabbi, and ask them to to guide you through this. Even if you don't believe in God, ask him, 
Some of the most sincere prayers that can be prayed is, God, I don't even know if you exist, but if you do, I need you to show me the way. And then make yourself aware of what's going on around you. See where God is pointing you and pay attention. Go into the New Testament and just start reading. I'd probably start with the book of John and just ask God to earnestly speak to you. And I'll bet he does. I'll bet he does. But don't expect a miraculous change just because of that. There's work to be done. I read a book and did a study several years ago. I think we did it together called Experiencing God. And one of the biggest things I got out of that book was the idea that when God shows you his work, that's his invitation to join him in his work. So if you want to know what God wants for you, look to see what God is doing. Well, thanks for letting me do this interview. It is your 100th episode. As you look forward, how long do you think you'll be doing this show? As long as I have listeners, as long as I get feedback, and as long as I can find interesting guests that will speak to the issues that are important to faith. The show has gained a lot of traction. The show will continue to go on and go on strong. I've been blessed with some amazing guests with amazing stories, uh, and all of them have been an absolute blessing to me and to you, the listener. I don't think I have anything else to ask you. Take care. Joe's website is onfaceedge.com. You can follow him on Facebook and Twitter. These links, as well as all links, can be found in the show notes at onfaceedge.com slash 100. That will wrap up today's show. Thank you, Joe Taylor, for being with us. And thank you for listening. You mean a lot to us, and you mean a lot to this show. God is real. He loves you, and so do we. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. What's up? (laughs) Joe, this is Jen Godson Chandler. Congratulations on your 100th episode.